Hello. Testing. Okay. Again, not sure if the audio is working here. But I'm just going to assume it is until you tell me otherwise. Uh, I'm just going to start off with some flute because why not? Oh, what's going on here? Oh, here we are. people. Um, is my audio working? I'm not 100% sure. I was just playing some flute while I waited. Didn't want to just ramble on to myself here. But uh, welcome. Today I'm going to elaborate on some concepts I was talking about last stream. And that was on the topic of travel as a transformative strategy i suppose and i'm kind of i was kind of framing it in relation to the loss of ritual and rites of passage in western culture particularly so can someone give me some feedback if the audio is coming through i assume it must be because you're still here unless you enjoy just the silence <laughs> but uh yeah so i wanted to elaborate on that Basically, just to go over it a bit, if you didn't hear, um, I talked about travel in terms of the a sort of existential urge to go into the unknown. And that urge, that sort of uh, leaning into the unknown is, some, is a deep biological need that human beings have for the purposes of transformation, of breaking cognitive framing. And historically, we've had communal ritualistic contexts that allowed that, that afforded those kinds of experiences. And, you know, in the past and in certain cultures that are still alive today, we have what, what are often very violent, very traumatic kinds of experiences that are required to bring someone from, say, childhood or adolescence into adulthood. And so built into that seems to be a, a sort of experiences of immense stress, of immense pressure, um, seem to be required to sort of break down, you know, bad habits or, you know, habitual patterns and those patterns indicative of childhood. Now, it's, it's interesting because I think in your own life you can, you can sort of see the markers of, great change in your personality or in your in your habits uh, are often very emotional experiences. They don't necessarily have to be painful or violent, but they're generally, uh, yeah, very emotional. So, you know, it could even be a really bad breakup. But I used the example last stream of the, the smoker that quit smoking because, you know, their mom or dad dies from lung cancer. You know, so we, we, we know at some kind of intuitive level that we require pretty extreme experiences to change. And, of course, change can occur gradually, but in the context of uh, solo world travel, not sort of holidaying, but this sort of the motivation one might get to just pack your bags and leave. And you might not be that person, but... You might also be where you've just had a sense one day you've woken up where you just need change. The familiarity of your environment uh, feels like some kind of, it's constricting your growth in some way. And I think at a, at, in sort of modern day, given the sort of affluence of many of us and the 
you know, new technologies like, you know, planes and things, Google Maps, um, they've made travel far more accessible, but yet the, the, the sense of the unknown remains, you know? So I'm going to kind of elaborate from that. I, um, I didn't get around to really talking about improvisation and, uh, so let me backtrack a little bit. I got everyone to think about someone in your life that is a, a reflection of the kind of person you would you would like to be, or at least embodies qualities that you would like to have. And I tried to kind of narrow it down to a, a few main factors. Now, of course, people are going to differ in what they find charismatic in others, but I tried to imagine that confidence, a sense of confidence in this person would be a, a common trait, a sense of effortlessness in what they do, uh, in that they, they don't seem to be, they seem to be focused, let's say, um, or at least they seem to know who they are and what they want. And a sense of selflessness. They're, this person you might be thinking of, or at least the person I would think of, is generally not self-serving. Um, and on top of that, they're not particularly wound up in what other people think of them. And I was thinking of sort of how we think of adulthood and what it means to be, you know, to sort of grow into yourself. And, and the trend that we do see in individuals as they grow older in life, um, you compare sort of the 70-year-old to the 20-year-old, um, there's a very big difference in these sort of, in these qualities, especially in self-consciousness, you know. Um, and so we know that there's a mark of wisdom and maturity in that. And I think when we talk about maturing and talking, talk about transformation into, you know, the matured version of who we are, this sort of lack of self-consciousness and a sort of confidence in life seems to be, uh, a common factor. But when I say confidence, I think I didn't really explain myself well enough because you could imagine someone who's just a, a total psychopath, <laughs> who's not worried about what anyone thinks of them and is totally confident in everything they do and, you know, might be very skillful. And so, you know, it's, when I, when I talk about confidence, I mean, um, a sort of, presentness and uh what should i say uh hmm kind of just like a lack of anxiety is what i mean by confidence i don't mean a kind of arrogance so i want to clear that up and i want i, I kind of failed to talk about what i want to elaborate on here is how these qualities give us an adaptive they they they, they become uh, they afford adaptive behavior. And I think when we're, you know, going overseas and imagining the kind of person that we want to be, or we're going through a transformative experience with the intention of becoming someone else, or at least maturing, um, I think we're often looking to bring a sense of adaptivity into our behavior that we can roll with the punches to an extent. And that's really interesting because as biological beings, and especially as human beings, the ability to adapt is something that is foundational to uh, survival and for people, for, for us to thrive as individuals in society, being able to adapt is incredibly important. Um, in this modern society, it's becoming more and more important. It's really interesting they talk about sort of the amount of jobs you're likely to have as a millennial um, compared to the amount of jobs, say, your grandparents were going to have or had throughout their life. It went from having one or two jobs in your lifetime to having over a dozen. And so you can see that adaptivity, the ability to sort of have a sort of broad range of skills, a broad um, malleability in your behavior that can suit very different contexts is becoming more important as society develops 
and we develop machines that can do the monotonous tasks that might have required, you know, one certain set of skills. And instead, humans are becoming more mediators between technologies. Um, we fill the gaps because of our capacity to be adaptive. Um, and the reason why we need transformative experiences to increase, enhance this adaptivity is because uh, we, we get locked into neural patterns that we develop throughout our lifetime, especially throughout our childhood and adolescence. Um, and those patterns are very difficult to break. So, you know, if, if you've, you know what your patterns are and you know that no matter how hard you try to think around them propositionally, you know, bring new bits of knowledge into your life with the hope that this will be the key that unlocks this, this problem, uh, nothing changes or at least certain particularities might change, but the, the overall pattern still seems to be the same. And I mean, you see this very often with people that get into the same kinds of destructive relationships over and over again. And they think, okay, this person was clearly wrong for me. So I'm going to find someone that exhibits, you know, qualities that are the complete opposite or totally different. And hopefully I can get out of this cycle. But then they'll find, no, they just, they enter into a different version of that cycle with a slightly different dynamic, but overall the same kind of outcomes emerge. Um, it's really interesting. There's a talk called Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And I, I encourage you to look it up. It's by a philosopher, Alain, Alain de Botton. And there's this this part in the talk where he, he, he talks about that certain spark you feel with someone. And it's interesting where you could meet someone and you go on a date and everything about them seems quite reasonable, you know, and they seem to tick all of your boxes in terms of their external appearance. And, you know, they, they seem to be going in a similar direction uh, similar interests, they're, they're funny, charismatic, whatever, but something doesn't click, you know? It's like you could, you could really get on with someone, but ultimately at the end of the date feel, I think they'd just be a good friend more so than, you know, a soulmate. And he puts that down to this sense that this person cannot make you suffer in ways that feel familiar. And I just found that was a, a really powerful way of looking at it, that when we feel that spark in with someone, when we see, we, you might even experience a certain infatuation with them or you kind of fall in love, um, which is a beautiful feeling, of course, and it's, it's very rare. And, and once you've experienced that, you kind of, nothing really feels as genuine um, until you experience it again. But what you might actually be experiencing in that moment is this sense that this person can make you suffer in ways that feel familiar. And I think that speaks a lot to th these patterns, that we are looking for people that can fulfill a role in a particular pattern that we wish to enter into. You know, it, it's familiar for us. Um, it's kind of the path of least resistance to, to a degree. And so... Basically, that's just the point that we have these very deep patterns built into us and we require uh, extreme experiences, extreme pressure sometimes to break out of those patterns and travel like solo travel is to, to my eye, a way of, of achieving that. Um, or at least it's thought to be, you know, I, I can't really make too many claims as to whether it, it's successful in that. So you want to become more adaptive. You want to become less entrenched in your patterns, in your normal ways of behavior. Um, you wish to be able to try different things and expand your potentiality as an individual. And ultimately, you wish to do this in a way that benefits not just you, but is part of a communal process. It embeds you in a place of meaning and 
gives you the sort of capacity to follow through with meaningful work, meaningful projects that uh, contribute to that community. And I think if that if that component is missing, then no amount of self-transformation is ever really satisfying. You know, you don't really have, I think, to some degree, self-transformation or transformation of any kind isn't actualized until it is part of a dynamic relationship with other people, you know? Um, so that's, that, that's the concept of, again, sort of the hero's journey, say, in a more myth- mythical sense, that you go out, you have the experience, you face yourself, and you overcome that, and you bring the boon, you know, the riches. You go and slay the dragon. You bring the treasure back to your community. So I wanted to, I wanted to move on to other diff- different kinds of transformative states. And I really encourage anyone listening to call in or to write any suggestions, things that are, have been transformative experiences for themselves that they found that, you know, what, what's an experience that you've had that you found some fundamental entrenched pattern changed afterwards? I'd be really interested to know. Um, here I'm going to talk about psychedelics. Now, the, 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 they're pretty popular in public conversation at the moment, and I think for good reason. When I was first, when I first encountered psychedelics, I was... 17 and I had a really difficult sort of adolescence and this was my this my my discovery of LSD kind of marked the 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 upward uh the upward sort of slope into you know coming out of that I suppose but uh I was living out of home and I felt very lost. I, di- I didn't feel very connected to myself and to the community. I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do with my life and nothing that I was doing except from working, like I was doing a carpentry apprenticeship, but it was nothing that I was doing really felt like it was for a purpose, you know? And I was experiencing a lot of depression and was on antidepressants at the time, actually. And I won't go on about it, but after a few very powerful experiences on LSD, I actually forgot I took antidepressants. So I remember it was, it's very vivid to me because I remember running out, like taking my last pill. And then I was going on a trip to Byron Bay in Australia, which is kind of known as a bit of a, a hippie hotspot. And it's a beautiful place to go. Um, so I was going there with a friend, but I was saying, you know, I need to find the pharmacy there so I can get some more of my antidepressants because when I wouldn't have them, I would feel really anxious. So we're like, okay, yeah, we'll suss that out when we get there. That'll be all right. You know, we've got these tabs. Let's just, let's head off. So we went, had the experience, was incredibly powerful. And it was some months later that I realized that I hadn't thought about my antidepressants ever since that those couple of days, you know, completely forgot. And I won't say it cured me of depression, but it absolutely thrust me into a whole different cognitive mode. You know, I, I just I simply wasn't seeing the world in the same way anymore. I felt incredibly connected. Um aesthetically switched on everything was beautiful I felt just attentive and um yeah very much in touch with this conscious experience in a way that I hadn't experienced probably since I was you know much younger um so I I can attest to the 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 power of of psychedelics but uh you know, for the, for the wider community, it's very interesting that there's somewhat of a psychedelic renaissance going on. Uh, we're looking at psilocybin for the treatment of depression and feelings of hopelessness in terminal patients. We're looking at MDMA in treating post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, 
of course, I mean, marijuana can be thought of as a psychedelic too, but, and it gets a lot of hype, but I actually think, you know, it, it certainly has its limitations. I, I really, I don't consider it um, on, on par with the more transformative substances. So it's interesting to me, and I'm going to couple this with mindfulness practices and even the whole self-development uh, industry, I suppose, as a, a societal, a cultural reaction to the feeling of um, a need for greater adaptivity. It's, it's almost like as society progressively changes at a, a faster rate, um, these adaptive mechanisms start springing out. And we experience these adaptive mechanisms as a new book on mindfulness or, um, you know, a, a conversation someone starts having with, with you on the topic of psychedelics. You know, the, we are the emanation of these adaptive mechanisms. And it seems that as society speeds up and as we start to, we need to become more... Uh, broad in our skill sets you know it's it, you're you're going to you're not going to do as well in the, the modern era if you are only really good at one thing now you might but you've got to be lucky to sort of be in the situation where you can get the job doing that thing and so on and so forth in general you need to be you know good at being with people, you need to be good at being on your own, you need to be good at working with technologies, and you need to have a whole whole host of, of skills that you probably, we don't really think of as skills, you know, but all, all the things that are required of us to navigate the modern world, um, it's insanely complex tasks compared to the sort of tasks we were fulfilling hundreds of years ago. You know, and, and oftentimes I really... I want people to, and I need to remind myself, of course, to be gentle on ourselves um, if we're feeling like quite overwhelmed by, you know, life in general, because it is actually incredibly complex. It's, 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 it's not easy. And as much as, especially for millennials, you know, people want to want to bag them out and talk about, you know, how hard life used to be and how easy life is for for them now. And so, you know, quit your complaining. Um, I want to remind people that life is, yes, it's gotten easier in certain ways. The cognitive pressure, the, the cognitive strain required to navigate the world is increasing. It's not decreasing. Um, so, you know, if you're ever feeling overwhelmed and feel like sort of inadequate because you've kind of dropped the ball in certain ways, uh, remember to be gentle on yourself. It is hard. But I think we re we're beginning to require these sort of adaptive modalities to to enter in a whole new stage of, of being. You know, we can't simply be the people we've been all throughout history um, and expect to remain cohesive as a society and to remain healthy psychologically as individuals. So... My relationship, and th th this this is obviously it's a very niche area, but uh, I encourage you to listen listen with me here. Um, my, my relation to psychedelics has ultimately it's it's ultimately moved into psychedelic music and sort of transformative music and festivals. You know, transformative festivals where people go and 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 it and it will satisfy all of your um stereotypes here so this is like you know people taking their clothes off and and, and dancing um you know to to psytrance um in in the dirt yeah i don't know just yeah on a, on a copious amount of drugs you know and uh this is the, the, these are these sort of festivals um these are really the crucibles of a it's 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 a it's it's the kind of thought that a lot of people have been have engaged in over the years, uh, ever since I think modernity became much of a concept. But 
people have this sense that we, they want to go back to basics. You want to strip away all of this ego, all of these, this, I don't know, this, this status and, uh, and what is it sort of these, the, the way that we, we are constantly trying to present a version of ourselves to the world instead of just being free to be what we are and accepting ourselves for that. You know, so there's a lot of people out there that, that want to just embrace their inherent humanity. And they might do that by getting naked and just flailing around on drugs. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's not me. Like I have, I have done that at times and it was, it was wonderful, but I, I, I certainly, I don't think that that's the answer particularly, <laughs> um, as fun as it may be, but, um, I certainly recommend trying it. You know, if you've never been naked on drugs and just flailed around um, to great music with your friends, then it's worth doing at least once. But, uh, you know, this is sort of indicative from my perspective of a sort of the, the, the people on the margins of society who have just absolutely gotten sick of the, uh, this artifice, the cultural artifice, the, the, this, the image-focused obsession of Western consumer culture. You know, that, that this is sort of where it's ending up. And I think that this kind of breakdown is actually, the, and the, these kinds of ideas are actually starting to disseminate into wider culture and not from the, the region of transformative festivals but the the philosophical justification for this way of being is found in sort of postmodern philosophy and it, it's quite you know recent philosophy that is well embraced in academia in certain areas of course it's not it's not connected to the sciences so much as it is connected to social policy and politics but um these are the sort of questions of well, how do we, what, what is a good society? You know, we've been told what it is to be good. We've told what it, what it means to be human and what it means to be a good person, um, what you should do, how you should look and how you should act. You know, we, we seem to have received this information from the top down. At one point it was the church and then it's governments or it's advertisers but whoever it is, we're sort of, we're being transmitted a message and the question becomes, well, who says this is the way that we should be? Why, why can we not decide that for ourselves? You know, it's kind of, you, you, you sit at a table and it's uh, in, a, in a certain culture or a certain place, it's, it's rude to wear a hat at the table. And you start to think, well, why? You know, who determines this stuff? We're being boxed in by these sort of expectations that have we, we've received unconsciously. Why should we? Why should we allow ourselves to be boxed in by those? And for myself personally, you know, having transformative experiences, really feeling like you can look at culture through the looking glass, and that is to say, as if you're kind of outside of it and see, whoa. Um, no one is really choosing how they behave in this world. I'm not choosing how I behave. I'm just receiving downloads and I'm feeling all, all this anxiety, all this depression, all this sense of inadequacy simply based on someone else's ideas. Um, and it took a long road and it does take a long road to integrate those transformative states, those transformative experiences with a mature understanding of how to be in the world, you know. And I, I suppose for older listeners who were around during the, the 60s and 70s, they'd remember Woodstock and the sort of free love revolution at the time. And that's still going on, of course. But every, people knew, and especially, you know, you had grumbly conservatives shaking their fists at the time who could see that this wasn't... Um, it's not an it's not a end state. You know, you can't stay there. You know, at some point the drugs wear off, and you've got to put some clothes on, and you've got to you've got to go and and get a job and and you know start surviving again. You, know, you the, the party ends eventually, and 
I think the same goes for, you know, long-term world travel. Um, you know, eventually you run out of money. You know, at some point, no matter how much you feel like you want to grow and you want to keep transforming, um, at some point you realize that that's, you have to accept things as they are and find a way to integrate into the framework that is. And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about integration. And so we have these transformative experiences, whether it might be psychedelics, it might be um, a, a trip overseas uh, to a, you know, an alien culture and having your ideas about yourself and what you think is right and good in the world challenged at a fundamental level. Um, but for some people that can be, it's, it's obviously a very disruptive experience. This isn't to say that you're going to have a transformative experience and necessarily be happier afterwards. Um, oftentimes it'll reveal truths about the world and truths about yourself that are very uncomfortable, very difficult to, to deal with. And I think we know that inherently and, and that's why, the idea of transform transformative experiences actually can fit, fill us with some anxiety. And even for the smoker, um, the idea of quitting smoking can fill you with anxiety. Now I used to smoke, so I know this, I know this feeling, but um, yeah, you can't really handle the idea of who you would be without your cigarettes, without your addictions, you know? So um, we know that, there's great difficulty that comes after the transformation. And I think the concept of community, the concept of um, using your, your newfound skills or your, new, your newfound sense of confidence to engage with community is truly the only way that you can integrate it. So um, I suppose I was just, I just really wanted to wrap up the idea of, you know, what it would mean as a sort of modern day developmental rite of passage. So instead of your 18 year old son um, getting like covered in ants and, and sent off into the forest for a couple of months, instead of that ritual, he um, packs his bags and moves over to South America for six months. You know, that, that's what I mean by an analogous rite of passage. And I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. But of course, you know, you can come back from that six months in South America, um, a changed person, or at least with a very, a very much broadened idea of what it means to be human and what you're capable of. But unless you find a way to integrate that into your life, you'll eventually fall back into the same patterns that you were in before. Um, and this is the problem with transfer transformation in general. You know, it's very easy to just take a drug, go out into the, the forest with your friends and come back feeling transformed. But for anyone that's spent any time around, you know, psychedelic advocates or uh, people who are all about travel or all about self-development in general, I think we, we always see a kind of hypocrisy there where it's like, yeah, you're always talking about transformation. You're always talking about changing yourself, but I see you and you haven't really changed. You know, you're still worrying about the stuff you were always worried about. You never really became that confident, selfless person that you imagined you would become when you started this journey. And that's really interesting, you know, it, it, it really, really adds to this idea of just how difficult it is to change. Um, but I think there is, I think there is an answer. Um, and that answer being integrating these new insights that you have into a communal activity. And that might just simply be with your friends. It might just be in your local community or with a religious community. It doesn't matter um, you know, I'd be, I'd be curious, you know, in this, cause it, because it's people are less, people aren't parts of the kind of, uh, local communities that they used to be, but we're certainly part of online communities such as this one. 
Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to speak directly with any of you today, unless you'd like to call in. But uh, this here is a community. And if we sort of want to uh, develop whatever transformation or whatever, whatever insights we've discovered in our own lives, um, one way to truly bring them into being and to truly start solidifying them in our own experience is to, is to share them and to work towards creating things together, you know, common goals. And there's that, it sort of, it ties into that idea of you aren't what you aren't who you say you are. You are what you do. And so we need to find activities with other people with shared goals that allow us to actually bring these new sets of, uh, these new sets of understanding the world into being. Um, I think otherwise we, we can fall into the trap perhaps of sitting back and, we, we've got a new perspective on how to see the world, but we might instead just use that as a, a, a place, a safe place from which to criticize others, criticize, you know, politicians. Um, we can see more now, but it just gives us more to judge. I think that is absolutely antithetical to the transformed, this transformed ideal that I'm presenting. Um, you know, some people have even posited like Jesus Christ as the like this kind of, or the Buddha as the, this kind of, uh, this ideal that spans all human ideals. Like if you were to think of um, this ideal transformed being, you could feel a, you could think of someone analogous to, to Jesus. Um, <laughs> look, yeah. I don't think, I don't think, you know, I don't think that's, that's relevant enough for us in our daily life. We don't want to be Jesus. We just want to be, um, you know, better. You know, we, we, we just want to change some small things. You don't need to become Jesus, but, uh, to think about, you know, how Jesus acts in the world, we know at some deep sense that if we could do anything a little bit closer to that, then ourselves, our families, the community around us would be better off for it. And that is where we will find meaning in life, you know. Um, so Jesus wasn't, you know, what did Jesus say? Um, Let he who has, not sin- who has not sinned cast the first stone, you know. So simply going online or you know, f- finding new information, new perspectives, upgrading our ability to perceive the world, that, that can absolutely feed us into a, a trap of uh, finding more, more angles from which to criticize and judge the world. And I think this, this obsession with judgment and categorization is something that really, really, if, if I could, if I could say anything, both to you guys here and to myself, it is stop judging, stop judging. Really, it is, it is, you, you, we don't realize how built in it is to us. And especially if, if you're, you know, if you, you feel like as you understand the world better and better, you have more experiences, you think you know. You think you know how it should be, how people should be. And um, we, what was once an, an expansive, uh, an expanded perspective of the world and, and of possibility has now become, again, your ideological cage. You're, you're, you're once again trapped inside your own ideas that at some point you were wishing to transcend. Hence why you went and you changed jobs, you changed where you live. You know, you did something different. Um, Want a gummy snake? I would love a gummy snake. Uh, Yeah, if you could get it to me, I would. I would love that. Um, Yeah, but um, oh man, you've knocked (laughs) off my train of thought here. Um, But yes, certainly feel free to call in. Um, I hope that 
this this picture that I'm painting is somewhat cohesive. I, I guess I'm I'm really trying to map out um, why we wish to transform. If if you do wish such a thing, um, I, I I do think that it is a fundamental human need that we actually transform throughout many stages of our life. And it's, it's fundamental to human development, you know, as a child transforms, uh, yeah, they, 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 they have to overwrite certain cognitive biases and cognitive flaws that they have and update them with new ones, you know, and, and the whole concept of learning is very much built into that, you know, to learn something, um, often in, requires a, a killing off of something else that you thought was true, you know, so, so, uh, we know that we need to continue learning. You, 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 you're never at some sort of final state. Uh, but yes, I'm, try- I'm trying to paint a picture of why you would want to transform or why you would want transformative experiences and why it's actually difficult for them to, to bear out the, the, the transformation that, that we expect or that we would like. Why, we, why it's so easy for us to fall back into these patterns that we've experienced throughout our lives. Um, and yeah, my, my suggestion it is, is that because it is because we fail to integrate them into communities. Um, we, we might get a sense of confidence for a time. We might get this sort of sense of open possibility and effortlessness. You know, you can often come away from certain transformative experiences I know people can have sort of near-death experiences where this happens, where these sort of trivialities of life that used to wind you up, that you used to be sort of, you know, grinding your teeth over, um, no longer bother you. You know, it's kind of just water off a duck's back. Um, but fail to integrate the selflessness because selflessness in our culture is, is, is just, you know, and it, it, it's, it's almost become a cliché nowadays that like oh western culture it's so individualistic and and so selfish and we're we're taught to that it's you know a dog eat dog world and you've got to be this cutthroat capitalist to get ahead and and i i don't think that's true you know i think certain aspects of that are implied but that really is a cliche but because of the lack of physical communities i think it just it simply makes us difficult to enact the kind of selfless behavior that we would generally want to do. We generally want to be engaged in, but um, yeah, we, because of these, even the sort of structural reality of our lives that you know, right now I'm sitting in a house surrounded by a fence um, with, you know, surrounded by all these other houses full of people that I hardly even know. You know, I know my, my, my immediate neighbors, but not that well. I can go days without seeing them. And I mean, I, I'm looking at your house right now in which I don't even know the names of the people that live in it. So that is the situation at least I'm living in. And I know a lot of you are living in now. And it's not that you're, you're so selfish or that people in your life have just told you to be selfish. And, you know, that, that, that's why it is. It's just because at a very physical, structural level, it's it's very difficult, you know. You would have to go over to their house. Time to throw a barbecue. Yes, that is that 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 is absolutely something that you know I need to do. And this is the this is the interesting thing that it's easy enough to say, like you know, we all need to go out and start communities and integrate. Um, but we all have to be that first person to go and knock on their door or put out some pamphlets along the street and say, hey, let's. Um, let's all get together and get to know each other a bit more and be prepared to mingle with people that are very different to us. You know, um, I think we like our ideological silos and our families and uh, the, the friends that we've chosen because they insulate us from the friction of being with other people. You know, I'll, I'll admit to my own biases. I, I feel like because of the community that, I've grown up in that a lot of the people around me are are kind of bogans, you know, Um, they love to drink and talk about the footy and cars like full driving and, 
you know, smoking cigarettes and like, you know, they've got a, a certain way of being that I don't find palatable, you know, that's, it's just, it's just not my thing. And I need to learn to let go of that and to allow myself to see them for being far more than that. You know, the people around us are clearly more than these caricatures that we build up in our minds. So Paul, that is a fantastic point. And it's, it's really something that I do need to do. It, 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 it does remind me of an experience I had at the last house that I lived in where the guy across the road, he clearly had a mental illness of some kind. Um, the blinds were always shut. And the only time you would hear from him or see him is when he would be kind of going ballistic inside of his house or out the front of his house. Um, I mean, I remember at some point I saw him and his mate out the front of his house, like boxing a telegraph pole. <laughs> and, and you know, I just thought I just never want to... I never want to interact with this guy. <laughs> I just want to stay as far, as far away from him as I could. And at some level, I was kind of afraid of him, you know. Um, I was, I just thought, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Would this guy, like, attack me if, if he didn't like me? I just really, I, you know, I wasn't doing this so consciously, but some part of my mind was afraid of, of him. And one time we were talking about this, um, my, my housemates were saying, yeah, he lost his license for drink driving. And I thought, man, I bet he is in a really dark place right now. And they were saying, yeah, the last time we saw him, he started swearing at us and like, you know, putting his finger up at us while we were driving past. So we knew that he didn't really have a, he didn't have a, a kind disposition towards us. And I thought like, bugger this, have have any of us actually gone over there and introduced ourselves since we moved in? And, you know, the answer was an all round no. So I thought, okay, like I, I just need to go and say hi, at least just, just introduce myself. I went over there. Um, he answered the door. He was a really nice guy. We had a great chat and he was really, really thankful that I, I came around just to introduce myself. And we talked a bit about sort of the struggles he'd been going through recently and it was amazing. And ever since, every time we saw him from that point onwards, he would, you know, we'd wave. Um, he, he'd, he'd come over now and again just to say hi. And this whole caricature that I'd had that as a household we'd all had of this kind of the crazy guy that lives across the road, it, 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 it crumbled, you know. And, and I think that really speaks to how... Um, how sort of groundless and and fragile our caricatures of people are you know it's it's in a similar way to you could um feel a lot of resentment towards a friend or a family member or um or a boss even you know a work colleague and as soon as you communicate the, these resentments that you're building up against them oftentimes they completely break down in the face of that person. You might even, in, in the act of simply saying them, you can feel the emptiness of your words as they come out of your mouth. Because, you know, people are obviously far deeper and far more multifaceted and rich than we would imagine them to be. And I think we get into this habit, you know, when it comes to politics as well. You know, people look at politicians and the way that you hear people abuse and talk about politicians just breaks my heart because you can't, you, you can only imagine how difficult it must be to be a politician and how much you really have to in general care about the community to even want to go into that role, knowing that, knowing the way that people are going to think about you, you know, it's, it's a really hard job. And, uh, yeah, people, these politicians just get painted as these one-dimensional characters. Um, I mean, I don't even want to talk about Donald Trump because I really don't know enough about him. What I have seen is that, like, he's probably really good. He's, he's, he's a good target for people's outrage um, because you, I don't know. I, I don't really see... I don't, I don't really see um, 
<laughs> Paul, I, I, yeah, maybe if you live in the States, you've probably got, yeah, more relevant uh, noises to make on the topic of Donald Trump. I, I, I don't really, I don't really know the guy. But what I do know is that, there's, that there must be a lot more to him than what he portrays and what we would imagine there is to him. Um, and I think we do ourselves a disservice when we, yeah, we, we, we make the mistake of categorizing people and believing in our caricatures as if they are, you know, accurate representations of reality. So, yeah, I suppose I'm probably just going to wrap up here because, um, I feel like with the mention of Donald Trump, things are starting to <laughs> starting to really lose track. Um, oh, Canada, right? Um, but yeah, um, I'd yeah, I think I'm going to you know take this this conversation as a, a reminder to myself to uh, do some more community work in my local area. Um, I. I will talk maybe next time about the work that I do do um, in disability support. Um, but yeah, for now, uh, I hope you've gotten an idea of um, yeah what what it might mean to 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 desire transformation in your life, um, who it might be that you you wish to transform into, and why it may be difficult to actually to actualize that within your life. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate everyone listening today and Paul, thank you for, um, for bouncing off me here. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll thank you. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll be back on within the next couple of days, uh, follow me and, and you'll see when that's going to happen. And yeah, again, much appreciated. Love you all, and I hope you have a beautiful night or day, wherever it is that you are. See ya. Night.